0: Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. I'm your host, Justice Stout. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you'd like to contribute to this sponsorship fund and podcast, please join our patron community today at patreon.com slash renew the arts anthony quails is a really sweet guy with a great heart and an amazing voice we sponsored an album of his before the bright lights several years ago and now i'm bringing him onto the podcast to discuss the good old days what it's like to be a sponsored artist and to give us a sneak peek into an album that he's working on and kickstarting right now. And that's as of June 2019, for those who are listening a little later on. So here's my conversation with Anthony Quails. I'd like everyone to meet Anthony Quails, singer-songwriter from Chattanooga, who has been sponsored by Renew the Arts with a previous album of his called before the bright lights, and is now coming out with a new album called "The Man I Thought I'd Never Be." Yeah, and uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about music. We're going to talk about him playing music and writing music, but first, I want to talk about how you came to get to know us all in the first place,
1: because it's kind of a funny story. So, uh, so years ago, I guess it's maybe 2011. Um, I was uploading songs on uh on soundcloud which a lot of artists do use that platform and you can get you can message people through the through that platform and i got a message one day from a guy named michael Minkoff, and uh, i read it and I, this is too good to be true so i messaged him back and at the same time i was um had been talking to a, a friend of mine that lives in nashville and um we, he he started. he had uh used to write for universal publishing and then he uh was a staff writer for them and then he broke off and started his own so kind of along the same lines i was uh he and I were talking about a publishing deal, and Michael had mentioned you know hey, I like your music, and it was actually none of the songs I had put on my other previous two albums it was stuff that I hadn't even written yet and um and Michael had asked if uh if I would send him one of my songs he'd like to mix it and he's kind of explained what the foundation did. they find artists like myself. Um, and they just support them any way they can, and uh, whether it be recording, um, and and the big thing was was there are no strings attached, and of course there's always strings attached. At least in my case, I'd mm. always heard uh, that there were always strings attached. And so Michael and I um, we kind of messaged back and forth, and email back and forth, and uh, just talked about you know working together. And I was really interested. And in, um, about the same time, I had agreed to sign a publishing deal, and that kind of superseded me doing any type of recording with anybody. It was just kind of like, at that point I wanted to focus on songwriting and really didn't have a piece. And I think a, a piece about working with the foundation, not because there was anything wrong with it. It was just, I don't think it was time. I don't think I was writing the songs I needed to write in order mm-hmm. to, uh, that I was happy with and that I was comfortable enough playing and performing. And so fast forward a couple years later, um, you know, I would sent Michael an email and I thanked him for, for offering. And I told him, you know, I'm just, at this time I'm gonna, I, I'm writing, i'm going to go with this publishing label so i just became a staff writer for you know a a couple years and in and really kind of figured out at that point um i I used the previous decades of information of uh how to kind of start writing songs and write songs that made sense all around there weren't any holes in the lyric and um i was lucky enough to had people that had done it for years that really kind of sewed into me and uh, the funny thing is i would ask them you know how can i repay you and they say just pay it forward and that was really mm-hmm. kind of been my my kind of the way i look at it now when it comes to writing and um and spending time with folks that uh newer newer songwriters i enjoy that um so that's uh that's kind of how we met and then fast forward a couple of years i was i used to play at this little uh, coffee shop in chattanooga called the camp house and it was in a location they were at. It was just kind of like this. It was tucked away. Nobody really knew about it unless you knew about it. And it was a, it was a, a coffee shop slash performance venue. And it was also a small uh, section of an Anglican church. Mm-hmm. and so uh i think it seated on like 150 that was like max fire code yeah 125 comfortable I, 150 i loved that venue i did too i, I it was, was neat great. because you if you hear any live recordings you hear you know the espresso machine it goes, <laughs> you know you know steamers and things like that and so i think you and jesse had come in and you were um you were performing as a duo man alive which is
0: hilarious. I totally I think you, you forgot had, about that. You
1: had your trumpet, and Jesse had his guitar, and um, I remember you mentioned, I was part of, you was part of a gr- larger group called Brock's Folly, and I don't know if you were, were you at Bryan College at the time? Had you graduated? I think we probably would have just graduated, I think. Because so, I think you guys were still, because it was you and Clayton, Clayton had moved to, Yeah, I think the band was, yeah, he's in Clarksville now, yeah. yeah. And so that's how I, I, when you said that, I thought, okay, I remember this packet of material Michael sent me mm-hmm. with all these CDs and Brock's Folly's CD was in it. And there were some of the other artists, uh, Sean Sullivan with uh, Warbler. And then, of course, Micah was in there. And I think Michael's stuff with Physic, him and Phil. Right. Uh, was in that packet. And I so listened you, to so that. So you
0: recognize the name. I recognized the name. I recognized the name. I
1: recognized the name. And I thought, okay. And so I cornered you outside on the sidewalk. And I was like, I have a question I need to ask you. Yeah. I Are you still part. affiliated with with the Nehemiah Foundation? For anyone that? who might be confused
0: at this point, uh, Renew the Arts, we were uh, kind of born out of another organization called the Nehemiah Foundation. It still exists, but we took over the sponsorship program that was being run by the Nehemiah Foundation. So all the sponsorships that we've done in the past, that that's kind of a... Uh, grafting in yeah. that sponsorship into Renew the arts so at the time it was
1: the Nehemiah foundation so that's why you're so, so you, you approached sorry. us about that yeah the Nehemiah foundation air quotes mm-hmm. renew the arts mm-hmm. so uh and i just asked i said are you still are you still affili- affiliated with that and and you yeah we're still affiliated i said is it legit i think i just straight up I think asked said because i think i was at the point where i was like i'm just go- i'm not gonna pull any punches yeah uh, I think you might have said, is it the real Is it is it is the, the real, real deal? deal? Is it the real deal? Is this? And you above uh, board? and you said, Oh yeah, you said, and somehow you and Michael are related. Well somehow yeah. like his sister married my brother. It's like brother-in-law by marriage or something right. like that. So exactly. So uh and that's how we talked. And I, I had actually in 2012 I had actually recorded a live record at the camp house. Um, and I was thinking about the next project. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Michael and I said, Hey, I ran into justice. And I want to know, would you guys be interested in, in working together now? Mm-hmm. Because Justice has basically, basically told me, it's not a scam. It's for real. We offer sponsorship to artists. No strings attached. I'm not going to take your publishing. I'm not going to take your copyrights. And you it, guys, it, you at this own point, it.
0: yeah, at this point, uh, I wasn't in leadership
1: at the Nehemiah Foundation. No, no, in you were, I, just was just the, a, yeah. I was
0: just a sponsored artist. That's how I got plugged
1: in. And so I reached out to Michael, and I said, Do "You," and he said, I think he used the word tentatively. Mm -hmm. I think we would, let me, let me, let me get back to you. Mm -hmm. And so that was end of 2013, I think, right around that time. And um, I think I was going into, we were going into 2014 and Michael gave me the green light at the end of 2013, says, after the first of the year, I want you to come down to the foundation, uh, down to the, I call it the compound, because that's where everybody's at. You know, it's like all the artists just kind of like, you show up and everybody's just there and it's just this one, and I'd never been around anything like that. You know, I'd never been around community like that. It was really, I'd always been just kind of a loner, and I didn't have, I didn't have a people. I didn't have a tribe. That's, I think that's what I, I would say. I didn't mm-hmm. have a tribe. I was still trying to find where, where I fit as an artist, because I had spent the greater part of the early 2000s, late 2000s, trying to write songs for a Christian market and that's a dead-end road. If you're trying to write songs that are marketable, you, you've missed the curve because the songs that, were, that are being played were songs that were written, you know, seven years ago. What do you mean by that? Christian music is, at least in my, in my perception, and it's a very limited scope, is so behind the curve. When mm. it comes to sound, lyrical quality content, it's just, it's a very empty bucket. Mm. It's very, very so. You're shallow well. You're
0: saying being behind, however many years. Just production. Saying, I'll say production, production wise. Production wise, it sounds dated. Everything we follow, dated. we're not leading.
1: Yeah. It, no. Yeah. And you almost. And I had made this statement. I said, like, "Man, I wished so and so." And I named this artist. Man, I wish they would. I wish they'd come to know the Lord. So they. So we can get some something that sounds different and current. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's like you know you you think of all these. Producers that you know that are that more than likely are not are not believers, and you think if if only they would come to know Christ. Can you imagine the shakeup? Mm-hmm. But then you stop thinking. Well, they're not really the heads of the industry. So, is that are they going to be able to to do what they do? Mm. Because you see so many artists now leaving and going mainstream because they're not able to have any freedom to really kind of expand all that they can be as an artist because they're pigeonholed. You have to do this because um, because that's the only thing that that's acceptable. And I remember Michael Gunger had said, a, uh, I read this article one time and it blew my mind. He went to a co-write and it was with another artist and he said I want to write this and if you've ever listened to Gunger, He's just very, I mean he's, he's for me lyrical quality content just everything that they that he writes has such depth to it and Mm -hmm. such honesty Mm -hmm. and he said i went to this co-write and i want to write this and the other guy said as long as becky will listen to it and he said who's becky Mm -hmm. he said becky is your average consumer in christian music and he gives these demographics and he says becky is and I'm probably misquoting, but something along You're the lines—paraphrasing—something lines, yeah. along the lines of she's a single mom who wants things that she has small kids, and she wants things that are safe for her kids to listen to in the car. Mm-hmm. That kind of poppy, sounding upbeat. She may or may not go to church once or twice a month. And he's naming all these things off, and he said, and everybody now that I talk to hates Becky <laughs> because mm. Becky is what the labels assume that the Christian that the average consumer wants to hear. And you have to make it only for Becky. Yeah. You Becky's have to make, a slave driver. Yes. Yeah. She's, <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> you work basically. for Becky or Becky no drives one. a minivan. She drives a Windstar or something like that. You <laughs> it's know? different. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, um, so in 2014, I drove down to, I drove over to Buford, Georgia, Sugar Hill. It was my first time over and I met everybody and and it just kind of, that's where it started at. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know the way it went, the way it worked was you know y- the projects at the time because everybody was you know you you didn't have a full time staff, so everybody mm-hmm. worked on it as you could work on it. So yeah. I think I came, I think I came in in February and just kind of did some scratch stuff. We talked about the record, and then I think I came back in May of 2014, and we, you and I, spent an entire week, and we'd work in the evenings and we would re- record these tracks. And then we'd, you'd have other artists come in and I left and I pretty much was hands off and I left. And then um, and then over the course of the next year, you guys kind of worked on it as you could. And uh, that's how we just kind of started with this last record. And, uh, and it evolved. It was really cool because I think halfway through 2015, everything was kind of still just chugging along. I thought we're going to be this is going to be a four year process if we don't, you mm-hmm. know, if we don't. And that's where Jimmy Smith from Clubman Studios came in. Right. And he kind of, and I didn't know, but he had actually, he told me later he had reached out to the foundation. He started listening and reading some of the articles that you guys were putting out and uh, that Michael was writing. And Mm -hmm. this is pre-podcast. And he was really interested because he was looking for the same community that I was looking for. So it was kind of like this domino effect. And Jimmy and I had met through the camp house. He came up and we just became Facebook friends. And we had, it's how... It's interesting how God has basically put every single piece of that together. It is incredible. And I look back and I'm like, whoa! That's where that dot connected. That's where that dot connected. And it just and he ended up coming in and he told me he says, I want to work on your record. Yep. And he really picked up where you guys really weren't able to finish it out. And I think mm-hmm. we ended up finishing the record at his studio over in, in Blazer. Yeah, Center. we had a
0: lot of a lot of records in the hopper at that point. We yeah. kind of bitten off a little more than we could chew. So Jimmy coming in was n- not only a relief time wise, but he brought an incredible amount of expertise to the table. That his uh, ears, we really his ear, his ear for, his ear mm-hmm. for music,
1: yeah, uh, and production. Because I remember, especially for your style, for like my it, style, it fits yeah. so
0: perfectly in there. Yeah, and yeah. that
1: was, I think, that was the interesting thing was, I had we had a mutual friend, and she she and I have been friends for years, and she's a fantastic. Her name's Kathy Wilson. She is a fantastic songwriter, and she lives over in in Sparta, Tennessee, and she had recorded some some stuff with him. And I asked her, I said, Hey, do you have any? Um, anything i could listen to and this all happened in 2015 which is crazy so Mm -hmm. i said do you have anything i can listen to And she said yeah and so she sent sent it to me so i reached out to jimmy and i said and i listened to i was like this is what i'm hearing Mm -hmm. from my record Mm -hmm. and you guys were already kind of kind of heading that direction it was almost there Mm -hmm. and um and it just was like a perfect thing and i remember praying I specifically prayed. I woke up in the middle and I said, God, I said, somehow I'd I'd like for you to have Jimmy involved in this. And unbeknownst to me, he had already approached you guys. I like Anthony's material. I want to come in and work on this project. And then then I found out later and I thought, God, you answered that prayer specifically what I prayed. Mm -hmm. What I specifically prayed, you you answered that prayer. And I think for the foundation, it's worked for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Jimmy got the community that he needed at that time. You guys got somebody else in 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 that actually has a functioning studio that does it full time mm-hmm. that you guys can can work through as well. Mm-hmm. So it kind of everybody benefited from it and is still benefiting from it.
0: Yeah, Jimmy's basically like family now and yeah. we record up in Blairsville as often as we can. We still do recording in the Project Studio in, Sh- in Sugar Hill which yeah. is basically uh, greater Atlanta area for people who don't know where Sugar Hill is, but we still do recording there and um, and we, we get really good stuff out of there, but it's by far a preference even just to be around Jimmy because of the quality person he is That's, and his whole yeah. family. And, and it is interesting how making music the way that we want to see the church making music turns out is as much being a Christian the way we want to be Christian as it is making music the yeah. way we want to make it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like it, it's, a, it's a holistic approach. You're not going to make radically different music or art in general and have the rest of your life looking like everyone else. And so, turns out, radical music happens to come along with radical hospitality, yeah. which is what we see at the Minkoff's, which is what we see at Jimmy's, which is what we see with basically everyone that we associate ourselves with is... I don't know. Just a, a different approach to community that people are thirsty for, and um, we—I I think that, that I think it's really interesting how those things have to go hand in hand. This this element of community that we're dedicated on developing uh, has to be there for the art to happen in the first place.
1: Well, you know, you, and you have friends over the years. They'll say, you know, you have you know you you know you have this, you have certain friends that say, make yourself at home. And they really don't mean make yourself at home. Mm-hmm. And then you have some friends that say make yourself at home. And when you get there, you make yourself at home. And, and and it's known that's that's what you guys do. You guys are the latter. You guys are the ones that find artists like myself who are very isolated. You know, when we met, you know, my my children are almost grown now. So I've got one that's in that's in college, it's starting her second year in college, and I've got one that's heading out of high school. So my, my wife and I were, were young parents, and so we were the youngest parents with the oldest kids mm. at the school. And so we really didn't know where we fit in, you know, in our, at our church, in our small group, or Sunday school class. We were always the youngest parents in there. Mm. And so it was always, you know, very, it was very lonely. And so stepping, stepping onto the property at uh, where the foundation was at was just like a breath of fresh air for me. As an artist, because you guys listened to me, you understood what I wanted. You asked me what I wanted. You can just assume. Hmm. You asked me what I wanted as an as an artist. What am I looking for? I said. I and and I think to this day it is. I just want people to connect with the music. I want people to connect with the songs. I want to write songs that matter, and that people believe that they matter. Hmm. And so for me, it's, that's been the biggest support is I can send something to you or I can send something to Michael and say, what are your thoughts? And you guys will be honest with me and honest enough to say, I like this. This is totally different. This is something I don't, I've never heard you say or speak before, and I like it. Um, and that's why wherever I go, I share with people about the foundation because I want them to know. And I have people message me that live in nashville and friends of ours that it's just kind of an extended network and i'll have people i had a guy recently um he messaged me on facebook i think we were friends on facebook through a mutual friend of ours and he said hey can i call you and for somebody to say that to a stranger and i'm like sure give me a call this is a sunday afternoon and he said i want to know about the the room of the arts oh interesting and i said what do you want to know I just want to know everything you, you can tell me about them. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, and I told him my story of how I got connected with you guys. And I said, well, how did you find out about it? And he goes, well, they followed my wife on Instagram or something like that. Oh, my wife follows him. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I went to their website, and I saw that you had a project with them. And I want to know how that worked. And I just told him, I said, this is how it worked with me. So I want to hear you say, in a nutshell, how it works. So, so okay, so... Like, what did you tell him?
0: That's what I want so to know. I told
1: him, I said, okay, so... And I think we were talking pre-recording about this. So you so basically about it took about two and a half years I think total from 2014 to the launch of the record or the launch of the campaign Kickstarter campaign. It was about two. It was right at about two and a half years Mm because it was 2014 January February, and then we launched. We finished out the uh, the actual recording process the end of 2015, Mm. and then we launched a campaign when everything was mixed and everything we we launched the campaign in either april or may of 2016 right and so um so for me it was not realizing the amount of of time and effort and everything that was put into it because i i I was there but i wasn't so wholly in there because once i started working with jimmy he would send me things and um and I would hear it as it went. And when we finally got it to the mastering and everything, then it was ready to go. And so when we went into the Kickstarter, you know, the, the campaign, the goal was, was, was pretty high. It was like $11,000. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a tall mountain, but we're going to see if we can climb it. And I think we ended up raising a little over 7000 And so the campaign wasn't, fun, wasn't, wasn't successful. Right. And, and I, I remember you and I talked, and you asked me the next day, Cause I knew going into the last week, I was like, there's no way we raised a good chunk of money at the last week, but yeah. it was, I'm like, there's no way we're going to raise $8,000. Mm. And I, I immediately felt, I felt bad. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm just be honest. I felt really, really bad. And, um, I think part of it was, I knew you guys had invested so much time and, and, and just everything you guys had invested in the project. And I felt like a failure. Just being nah. straight up honest, and it wasn't anything. And I think part of it was, and we talked about this before. I grew up in a very, very legalistic churches. Grace was not taught in those churches, so I didn't understand God's grace. And it's taken me three years. This year, like a few months ago, you guys read. You asked me the next day um, after it after it wasn't didn't didn't the campaign wasn't successful yeah um, i was pretty i was i wasn't as much upset that the that the record because the record was done mm-hmm. so it wasn't like the record wasn't because we finished. had already yeah like, we the record. bill for yeah. all that yeah. Yeah. yeah it was the fact that we'd you guys had invested it. so much money and time in it and mm-hmm. i felt like i failed you guys right when in fact there's nothing i could have done other than you know you can't make people give you money for art when people when we live in a society where i'm trying to figure that out yeah when we live in a society where it's stuff is is readily accessible streaming and everything we're used to getting things for low or no cost right and so when you asked me the next day you said how do you how are you doing i said i'm not doing good Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it was it was the fact that i didn't i did it just didn't it didn't happen and you asked me specifically, you said, we're thinking about relaunching the campaign. What do you think? And I think I told you, I don't know if I could do it again. You said, we're only going to run it for five days. <laughs> and I was like, and, and then, you, then you told me, you said, and we're going to eat every single bit of our costs. We just want to raise enough to manufacture. And I think for me, I, I think I, I went somewhere because I was at work and I remember, I think I went somewhere and just cried. Because oh, wow. I didn't understand why you would do that. I think that was, for me, it was, like why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Because, again, I came from, I didn't understand grace. I didn't understand, i had had to work for everything my whole life. You know, we grew up, we were extremely, we were extremely poor growing up. So if I had anything, I worked for it. And so, you know, in the church, it's kind of like, the churches I grew up in, it was like, um, if a man doesn't work he doesn't eat type of mentality yeah absolutely that, you know you know what i'm saying it's there's like, even
0: the, the puritan i think it's a puritan um almost a doctrine called the worthy poor which is uh people who are poor for uh despite their best efforts essentially yeah. and then there's it assumes an unworthy poor, which is a really tough pill to swallow. I don't, I don't much care for it.
1: So, so that was my, my thought process was, was, can I do this? What if this doesn't happen again? Then it's been a double, for me, a double failure. And I, and I (laughs) I failed these guys twice. Anthony, we were wondering
0: if you'd be willing to fail again. Yes,
1: that's exactly. So, uh, so, but if we funded, I think ended up, we had, we only had to raise like $3,800, $3,900. I think we ended up with like $4,500.
0: Yeah. I mean, we went over it the second time and we knew it was, Probably, you know, pretty much there because people had already donated, but, um, it was a and, lo- and the way that we typically, so the way that that, you know, the reason we have those Kickstarters, just for people listening, you know, we foot the bill up front, cover all the costs, and then hope to recoup yeah. as much as we can. Um, to pour into other projects. Right, yeah. right, to, to pay it forward, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, but... But of course, that, you know, we don't let that affect what projects we take in. You know, we want to take in the projects we believe in, not the projects and we I think will big. Think
1: for me, and I think for me, that was, that, was, that was kind of like the final nail showing me how much you guys were actually invested in me. Mm. And so, uh, and like I said, up to three months ago, and I think it's because I watched the last Kickstarter video. I hadn't watched them. And I watched the last one, and Michael was talking about why are we doing this? Because he's speaking to the camera and he's saying, or to the audience and he's saying, so why are we doing this again? He goes, because this, we believe this is God's gift to us, is Anthony's music. And, um, and we want to give him the gift and show him how much we love him. And I'd never experienced God's grace to that extent before in my life even as a believer for almost 25 years. And I know that God loves me. You know, you hear that. But seeing that fleshed out in someone who doesn't have to care about you and does and cares about your art is extremely humbling. Yeah. Sorry. Um, But... um, Michael has a way of being very sweet in that way. I I just thought that was... um, For me, it took me three years... Getting ready for this next campaign to realize that, um, that to God art matters. He really does. I think He wants us as His children. I think He wants us as as His children to share the gifts that He's given us, because He knows He doesn't give it to everybody. I think, that's a, I think that's something as an artist you need to understand is that He gives you the gifts and the talents that He gives you because He wants you to use them. And not using those talents is slapping Him in the face. And it's, it's, a, a direct, it's a direct shunning of, of His love and His grace towards you when you refuse to use those gifts for Him. And they don't have to be songs for Jesus' For Jesus' sake. But I think he wants you to use your your gifts and talents that he provides to you because he loves you enough mm-hmm. to provide those to you.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I
1: think that's the way I approach songwriting now is is I want to be as honest and as open as I can be. And you know, in several years ago, I had uh, I did an interview with a, a friend of mine who was who lives down in Atlanta. His name's Jake Decker, and I go back and I watch the interview because. He asked me how I approached songwriting and at the time I approached songwriting I wrote the last record was a lot of fictional stories they were allegories they were told from a third person perspective and the way that they were told was my my mindset was I want to write a I want to write a story that's that gets people invested in the character. And Mm -hmm. when they're invested in the characters, so it's like a 75-25 rule. So 75% of the the song is a really good story, at least. And then that other 25% is the... um, the truth is, is the, story. the truth behind the story or something that, right. that I can relay. And it's it's not me telling you how to believe. It's me saying, this is what I believe and this is what I've found to be true.
0: Which is why your first album was called Parables. Yes. Because it's
1: that same kind of concept. It's that same tool.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it's what... The same thing was in uh, the album that we did with you before the bright lights. So yeah. The, it was
1: just an extension of that first record. And right. that's what I tell people. Because the first, the first yeah. record was a live record I did with a friend of mine named Charlie. And and I'll tell you the the... It became, when when I completely surrendered and said, God, I'm spiritually and emotionally just tired. And this was mm-hmm. in 2011. When I, I said, God, I'm a spiritually and emotionally tired. I want to, uh, what do you want me to do? And he started opening. I said, I'll go where you send me to. And he started opening doors and I met Charlie. And that's how Charlie and I became friends. We did a live record together. Charlie was an agnostic. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my adult life, I went into relationships in that area, uh, not just with him, with anybody, just saying, I just want to play music. I just want to be friends with people who like doing music. And if by chance we talk about Jesus, that's okay. But I don't want to go in with the alter motives because I had grown up. That's what you do. You, you witness to people. To get them converted, and then they're on their own. <laughs> and then you drop them off. Yeah, then you drop them off. You've you've done your duty. You've mm-hmm. fulfilled the great commission. apparently is what they. That, that's that, what the great commission. That's is. what the great commission. I'm is. making so, disciples. So anyway, so uh, we did live record together, and I think God speaks for every believer. He speaks a language for them. Mm-hmm. And Charlie's language was music and songs, and I'll never forget we recorded that record and we had been friends for a good part of a year and had talked and he would ask questions and uh, keep in mind charlie's old enough to be my dad mm-hmm. um so we're good almost 20 years right age difference and um i'll never forget um i had been praying for him and we did the, we did the record and th- that was in october i released the record in the first of 2013 and about two or three months later we had a conversation and uh, i was supposed to do a radio program that night and he asked me he called me and he said hey can i come be on the show i said yes you can come be on the show with me got off the phone and the holy spirit said tonight's the night you're going to tell charlie how much i love him i want to take just
0: a moment here to thank all of our patreon supporters for making this podcast possible without your help we literally could not afford to keep doing this and a special thanks to our newest supporter nathaniel mosley If you'd like to contribute to this podcast and this movement, please join our patron community today at patreon.com slash renew
1: the arts. Got off the phone and the Holy Spirit said, tonight's the night you're going to tell Charlie how much I love him. Oh, wow. And I I mean, it was clear as, as audible as, you know, it's like crazy. Yeah. And uh, I, we went and had, we went and got something to eat. Uh, that night afterwards and it was just he and I in the middle of this restaurant and I said I need to tell you something I said I think God did every single bit of this because he's after your heart and I said I think that's the only way he knew how to get you I said I think he wants you so bad and he wants you to know him and he wants to know wants you to know his love so much that this is he did every single bit of this for me for you mm. and if you've ever seen somebody when when they're when the when the Holy Spirit's really working on him, his face went red and he like, he was about to just lose it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started talking about the Bible and he, I was just showing him, I said, like, you know, you have a smartphone, here's the app I use. I think I used this, I had this English standard version on there. Right. And so the next day I was at work and he calls me and he he's Hey, I'm at this Christian bookstore and I'm looking, what was the you know Bible you had? <laughs> and I went to him, this was on a Wednesday and I went to my men's group and I said, I think Charlie's accepted the Lord. Well, how do you know? I said, He's just asking questions. And they said, mm-hmm. Well, if you find it, ask him and find out. So I called him on my way home and um, I asked him, I said, I got a question. After, after I act like I cared what kind of Bible he got, I just really wanted to know. It's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. segue into it. Yeah. And I said, Was there a point you, you accepted the Lord? He said, Two weeks ago. And he said, I was on the edge of my bed, and it's fo- so funny how God does this, because I had had a conversation with a, f- a friend of mine who's, a, who's a, a, a preacher, and I said, do you think you have to spe- say a specific prayer, like as far as like, is it the Romans road type right, and, right, and right. he And he said something to me, and I believe it. He said, I think when it happens, in, and he pointed his chest and he pointed his head, he said, when it happens here and here, it connects. He said, and I think that's the moment when you realize who Jesus really is and who God really is. He goes, and I think that's the moment of your conversion. He goes, I think there are prayers you can pray. He said, and, I, and you confess. He said, but I really, really, honestly think it's when you get it. Right. And it's I not asked, about the exact words. And he's and I asked Charlie. I said, so I asked Charlie. I said, and it, you know, was there a point? He said, Yeah. He goes, I was sitting on the edge of my bed, and he was a full-time musician. He said, you remember that song, Ricky Skag song, Somebody Prayed for Me. And he said, I was playing that song and I just look up and I said, God, I want your love to flow through me. And he said, that was the moment. Everything changed. And he said, I, he goes, I used to have people come to me at shows and want to tell me their problems. I want to tell them just shut up. And he said, now I'm telling, tell me, tell me what's going on. Uh, tell me what's going on. Yeah. And I saw a change in him. And um, about two years ago, this is, so January of 2017, Charlene passing away. I know, and I and I I remember finding out, and I thought, God, you did every single bit of that because you knew, and that's even more humbling. Yeah, it's even more humbling, and so to, there are days when you doubt, and then you think about the truths behind those stories and those things, and it's like, how can I doubt that? Yeah, who orchestrates that? And I'm that's one, the thing I'm about the
0: parable is that it just yeah. mimics life because yeah. we're living a story. And there's just truth in our stories that we're actually acting out. Yeah. And having a parable that's a fiction is just a reminder of the s- true stories that we're living and out I, that we're, we need to recall the truth yeah. that we're forgetting as we just and I think.
1: And I think the thing is, as a, as a songwriter and as a Christian, all your songs don't have to be Jesus just to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. You don't have to throw him in there because that's what you're supposed to do. Because you have to. I think what you believe and how you feel as far as like how you, it just bleeds out of your songwriting. Yep. I think a part of you, mm-hmm. it's, it's inevitable. I mean, there are songwriters you're like, I think that guy's a Christian. And yeah. then you come to find you're like, yeah, they are. Yep. It's like John yes. Foreman. It's kind of like John Foreman. hmm So, and that's the long story, so.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we're. Uh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. We're, yeah. we're plowing through time here, but I mean, I'm loving every minute of it. I do, I don't want to not get to your new album. Oh, yeah. So, well, first of all, I guess uh we did finish the album and we released it and how it how
1: did looking back on it now uh, it's just a big
0: gift. I mean you guys And you you
1: like the end product. Oh yes, the oh well, the, here's the here's the crazy thing. So there's a um there's a, a group out of out of Illinois under the radar. And yeah. they're really kind of like they're really kind of like on the cutting edge of finding artists that nobody knows about. And also finding artists that people do know about that may, may be writing really honest and sincere. They're trying to bridge that gap between what's considered marketable and what's actually honest and true. And so I ended up becoming friends with them, the guy, Dave Trout through, um, through another friend of mine. His name's Chris Layton. And I sent Dave the album and, uh, and they ended up listing it in their top, you know, fifty or sixty-two albums for 2016. It well, was you, like, were, you were up on the list too. You weren't even very far down. No, I remember that. Yeah, and then, that was really great. And then they had like, and then one of the songs that was on the record uh, was listed in their top like fifty or some odd songs that were released independent released for that mm-hmm. year. So it's like, it's like the record was released in 2016, and then they're like, hey. And they started really kind of promoting what I do yeah. and uh, has really kind of opened the door for a lot of other people to find out what I do as a songwriter. And it's really nice to be accepted when you think, okay, this is a niche record. This is going to be something where it's not going to be something everybody loves. Right. And I just had a lot of really, really good feedback. And for me, it was you guys offering the opportunity to do, do a record the way I wanted to do it. Yeah. And know that when I listen to it, um, I can be extremely proud of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I
0: do encourage people to go over to Under the Radar and check them out. They have really really great
1: uh their curated list. They actually do a Spotify yeah, cur- curated list now. They do. And their
0: Spotify list is great and they have podcasts that are great and and but one of the best things that they put out is their yeah, their lists of, you know, best releases of such and such a year and they do they have a great panel and they do a great job. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's wonderful. Tell me about the
1: new album. So the new album um so, I, after I released the last record, I really went through a, a struggle because everything was changing for my wife and I. I mean, the kids were getting older. My oldest daughter started driving. Uh, they Evans. Were, they were just, yeah, it was just everything was kind of coming at us. We, we went through a very significant change in our church, where we were going to church at, and, mm. our, um, and our small group. And just our, our spiritual community was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually it became almost non existent. And so we were switching churches. Trying to find where we were happy as a family, as a couple, um, I went through a series a season where I wasn't writing anything, mm. and anything I was writing, I wasn't happy with because I didn't feel like it was honest. And you know, I think part of it was it was it, it was seeing things, seeing fat mo- life move faster than I was expecting it to, mm. and just kind of um, instead of addressing it. I just uh, put my guitar away and just sat on the couch and ate donuts and watched TV. Yep. It just didn't, and just didn't, just didn't deal with it. Right. And so out of that, I, I started writing songs and, uh, you know, um, with this specific record, it's just, a, it's just an EP and it's five songs of, that identify as five major events that happened over mm-hmm. me in the, for me and to our family in the last three, in the last three years. And but out of that, you know, my wife and I we celebrated 15 years of marriage, and uh, that was a big thing, you know. Right. And I look at where we were at when we were in our early 20s when we got married, and now we're close to 40. And um, look at us as a couple, and we still have the, you know, we still have the same, we still do the same things. But we both have moved closer towards center when it comes to where we were at when we first got married and to where we are now. Right. Um, things we think about and look at, uh, the ways we look at certain things. Um, you, you and and when you watch your children get older, um, I think we were having a conversation on the ride over about. Um, I look back and my kids are you know almost adults now, and I think. When they were so little and they wanted one more story, why didn't I read them another story? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I do those things? And so, I look back and I and you know I used to not be sentimental, and that was where the idea from this the title track, the man I thought I'd never be, um. One of my favorite songwriters is a guy named Andy Gullahorn, and he writes just some of the most incredible songs. And he uh, he's good at turn of phrase when it comes to... He has a very good twist. That almost all his songs have this kind of moment where it's just like, oh, I didn't uh, see that coming. Yeah. And so I had... Uh, so I, I was writing another song, and then that song hopped in and said, no, we've got to write this one. And um, it was all these things I had we're afraid to address like losing my hair and getting wrinkles and gaining weight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and my memory is not good. And my eyesight's bad <laughs> and addressing all of these things and saying all, I'm um, all of these things. I, I'm, I'm the man I never thought I'd be. And this is not fun. Yeah. But yeah. then, but then realizing of all of these things that I am now that I'm impatient and I'm, um, I just have so many flaws that I see when I look in the mirror. I'm also a lot more sentimental now. Mhm. And uh, and you know, instead of instead of running from a situation, running from um, running from conflict, running from things, I just face it. Yeah. Even even though I'd love to, to leave and go hide and go sit on the couch and eat donuts and ice cream and watch TV. I'm I'm, I'm learning how to to lean into those yeah and so all of these things that I'm doing now I'm sentimental I'm all of these things um and when my wife says you're 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 the man I never thought you'd be mm. so it's understanding that I'm more like the man I thought I'd never be when I was in my 20s I never would have imagined I would be the way I am now and accepting that, and being okay with that, mm-hmm. and being kind of happy that you, you, those things that you weren't able to encompass in your early twenties, mm-hmm. you're able to encompass, and be okay with it, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's the idea behind the, the ent- entire record is just being as honest and as vulnerable as my heart can take, and uh, and hope that people see that I've got a, a song. We're we're part of it. We're a blended family,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so I don't have any biological children of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife and I made this conscious decision. I made a decision when we first got married. I did not want to have any children of my own, and uh, and she couldn't anymore. And um, we made a decision as a couple because I felt like I knew my tendency as a as a person. And if I if we had a child together, I just knew that. For, and it doesn't. Ha- this doesn't happen for everybody. Just for me. Mm -hmm. um i felt like that i i know i would favor my own blood Mm. and i had seen that in so many of my friends growing up how they Mm. had so much animosity against their step parents and there was just this jealousy and the strife and i thought i don't want to do that oh interesting and so we we made the decision i'm i I, and then um because i felt like i want to give them all the love that i would all of it i just want to lay it out there and give it all to them they are mine, and I call them my daughters. Mm-hmm. They are—they have fathers, but I don't. You know, and we have okay relationship. I don't have any issues, but there's a song on the record, and it talks about I wish that I was him, and it it talks about all the things that I'm gonna probably gonna miss. Yeah, walking her down the aisle and things like that. Yeah, and you know those things that I'll I probably won't ever understand, but and and I say you know I wish that I was him. There are moments that he's gonna get that I'll miss. But is there a possibility, if I looked at it from his angle, I live with him. I get to see them all the time. I see
2: right. them
1: in the morning. I get those moments. Right. And does he wonder, and does he say, I wish that I was him.
0: Well, let's play that song here in just a second. Okay. Um, but since we're already at as much time as we have, we'll just close out with that. Yeah. Um, but before we close out with that song, your Kickstarter so so... Uh, we're recording this podcast on June 11th. Uh, we'll try to post it pretty soon here. When does your Kickstarter campaign for your new
1: album end? All right, so technically the ca- the campaign ends on June the 29th okay. at like noon Eastern. Yeah. So I don't want to, I hope that we don't push it toward <laughs> that. Right, 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 yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, technically the last full day is the 28th. It's uh, that Friday, Okay. the last Friday of the so month. So the last Friday of June. Yeah. So if y'all are listening
0: and it's before that, you need to pull your car over, hop on uh, Kickstarter, make a Wi-Fi hotspot, get on your phone, and pledge to Anthony Quayle's album. The Man I Thought I'd Never Be. The Man I Thought I'd Never Be. And uh, we're just really proud of the work that you've done. We're really pleased to have worked with your previous music and work. um, And we're really looking forward to how this album turns out. So um, we're gonna go ahead and roll tape. Thanks for listening. And uh, I look forward to hearing the album.
1: Oh, man, thank you so much. Absolutely.
2: There's a girl I call my daughter That doesn't carry my last name The man she calls her father lives 20 miles away And every other week or so he comes knocking at my door And she climbs into his pickup truck And they take off down the road well, He calls her every evening Just before she goes to bed To tell her that he loves her In case she may forget and I hear her laugh from down the hall before they say goodnight. And I try but can't imagine what that kind of love feels like. I wish that I was him, because he gets every moment that I But could it be when he thinks of me The same words cross his lips I wish that I was him There will come a day not far away When she starts a brand new life In a little church I can picture her dressed from head to toe in white With our friends and family gathered there The tears might fill my eyes Cause I know just who she's gonna choose To walk her down the aisle I wish that I was him. He gets every moment that I miss. But could it be when he thinks of me, the same words cross his lips? I wish that I was him. Now, she may be his flesh and blood, and the apple of his eye. But I hope and pray. She'll know someday that I've loved her like she's mine. Still, I wish that I was him. Because he gets every moment that i miss. But could it be when he thinks of me? The same words cross his lips. I wish that I was him. I wish that I was him.